before you guys are seated there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. And Lord, we thank you that you are the Lion of Judah. Lord, you are the one that is roaring in power. Lord, your authority and your power are obvious from the pages of Scripture. And I pray that as we continue to worship you this evening, Lord, through the preaching of your word, the teaching from your word, Lord, and we desire to grow in our understanding and to guard our hearts against some of these things in our world today, Lord, that want to pull us away from the truth of Scripture. I pray that we would know that you are over all of this and that you will be and are glorified in and through all of it. And so, Lord, thank you for being the God that you declare yourself to be. I pray that we would conform ourselves to who you are and not try to conform you to us and our thinking. And so help us to, to grow in that and our understanding and wisdom. Father, thank you for these that are here tonight. We pray again that you just be glorified in a mighty way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And as you guys are seated, uh, I do want to just share a couple announcements real quick. And then uh, we will dive into our devotion this evening. And so uh, a couple things. I want to remind you about Forever Young that's coming up on March 26th, so next Sunday, following our morning service, 50-plus ministry, uh, just a time of great fellowship, food, uh, bring a dish to pass. Uh, Home Plate is, again, coming up here real quick. Uh, One more week, really, we'd like to have you signed up and paid by next Sunday, so please think about that. If you have any questions, you can see Pastor Greg about that. Um, Also want to let you know, you can pay for that uh, online. Uh, You can pay for that at the Welcome Center. Um, Cash, check, however you want to do that. And then also Widows, Widower's Banquet. Um, This is just a great ministry that we, again, uh, also inviting other, whether in your family, whether in the community. um, Everyone is invited to share a group. Um, But that is starting tomorrow. This group, I want to pray for wisdom and guidance there, so be praying for that. Um, Also want to let you know, Birth and Beyond for the Pregnant Center of Lapeer, the collection table, um, still going on until the end of the month. So please uh, think about bringing something in. Um, There is a list out there at the the table that can tell you more about some items that need to be brought in. Um, And again, if you have any questions on that, you can either talk to myself, Kelsey Channel, or you can even call Pregnant Center of Lapeer directly. Um, And then also just one more thing here as far as with the bulletin. March 29th, which is uh, the Wednesday night services, will be canceled that evening. Um, That is spring break week, and so we usually take that Wednesday night off during spring break. And so March 29th, no midweek services, word of life, teens, uh, adults, okay? So that is not going on. Uh, With that, we do want to remind you and encourage you to uh, know about the skating event going on. So we talked about it this morning, and again, Wednesday night, the kids all got uh, a little postcard to take home. So that is going on on April 15th from 1130 to $130, $10 per skater. And so we need 50 skaters, and it's exciting to see so many people saying they really want to be a part of it. They're planning on coming and all those kind of things. Um, and so we want to make sure if you are interested in coming to that, uh, you can uh, let Sander know. You can respond on the uh, kids page there if you saw that, or you can just call the office and let me know, and we can go from there. Uh, money is due by Easter Sunday, so we really want to have that figured out by Easter Sunday so we're able to know if we have our 50 skaters. Uh, lunch is included on that, and this, is, again, is a family event. This is not just a Word of Life event. This is a family event, all right? Uh, Skate rentals are included as well. And also they do have those little, I call them like skater walkers. They're like little helps for little ones that don't maybe know how to skate quite well yet. Uh, They have those things there as well. Uh, You can also pay for that online. Uh, If you go online, you can go to the drop down there and select that event there. And you can take care of that, all right? Um, I believe that online is Word of Life. 
just Word of Life, okay? So it should say W-O-L. Um, that would be what you would pick if you're paying for the skating event on there, all right? Or you can see Sandra tonight. You can pay directly, Welcome Center, however that works for you, all right? So there's a lot of things going on, a lot of great events upcoming. Um, don't forget, uh, students have an all-nighter in April as well. I believe that is the 14th and the 15th, uh, 9 o'clock Friday night till 7 a.m. Saturday morning. Um, and so any students here, obviously, encourage you guys to come out for that. It's going to be a great time. Um, there's no cost on the all-nighter, right? Okay, yep. So just a free event. Come on out for that. Uh, but a lot of great things going on, so I want to encourage you with that. Also, I know it's not in the bulletin, but um, Good Friday is obviously right around the corner, and Easter, just a couple weeks away. Uh, really want to encourage you to be praying about those services, specifically Good Friday and Easter morning. Um, so excited for this time of year. I love this time of year, and I want to be praying as a church for God to do something amazing through those services where people in the community will just feel that draw of the Spirit to come and to repent of sin and to trust Christ, but also to maybe be ignited in their faith again, to be encouraged in their faith. And so let's be praying as a church for those services. Um, we do have a Good Friday service that we will be uh, putting on. Um, I can't and don't tell you a lot about that ahead of time, but it is a very unique worship service that you don't want to miss. You're, you're not going to regret being here for that. Um, with that, um, it really is for, um, not really for kids, um, probably like sixth grade and up would probably be the minimum age, I would say, just because of uh, the type of service that it is. It'd be hard for uh, little ones to sit through that service. Um, and so, um, we usually do have child care available for that as well, so we'll be giving more information on that, all right? So we'll have child care available for that service, but it is a great service to come and to worship the Lord. So Good Friday service, we'll be telling you more about that next week, and then Easter morning, if we'll just be in prayer about that, the Lord doing a great work there, all right? Any questions about any upcoming events, activities, anything at all like that before we jump into our devotion this evening? All right. Well, again, thank you guys so much for being here tonight. We are actually in uh, kind of like week eight of our study. And so if you're new with us tonight or haven't been here in a few weeks, we'll do a little bit of a review. And that's fine. Um, we have been going through uh, really the Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity. And so let me explain a little bit about why we're doing this. If, again, if you're new with us tonight, um, back over Christmas uh, break, um, I came across this little book. And it was someone that wrote a book called The Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity. His name is Michael Kruger. And I told Sandra, I said, that looks like a really interesting little book. Well, she got it from for Christmas. And so she's really intuitive like that. She just read my mind when I said, this would be a good book for a gift. And she was like, oh, that's what I'll get him for a gift. Um, I know it was like, it was just this weird moment. But so reading through that book, really simple little read, but really spoke to the dangers of progressive Christianity. Uh, what is the other uh, name for progressive Christianity? Liberal Christianity. Don't think liberal politics. Think liberal as in self. Okay? So I define everything I see in Scripture from my point of view. If it makes sense to me, if I can understand it, that's how I interpret the things I read in Scripture. That's what we mean by the word liberal. It's very self-driven. Okay? So 
as we're going through that, I was reading through that book and everything and thinking about that, Sandra even suggested, why don't we do a little study on Sunday nights? And so that's really what kind of gave life to this study. And so we've been going through every week a different one of these commandments that are really kind of confessional statements for progressive Christianity. So the statement I'm going to give you, the, we're on commandment number eight tonight. Um, these are statements that were made by those that would agree with progressive Christianity. They're pushing this type of thinking. And we're kind of critiquing that statement. So when I give you this statement, we are not in agreement with the statement, as I will make known as we study through it. But we want to look at the statement and then kind of critique the statement. Now, as we've said all along, one of the things in progressive Christianity, liberal Christianity, but also in a lot of false teaching is, is really the danger in some of this teaching is not the out-and-out out obvious things that don't agree with Scripture. It's when the teaching is like hair off of truth. When it's these minor, minor differences, that's when the teaching becomes very dangerous because it sounds so Christian. It looks so Christian. But then the more you get past the surface, you start to realize this really, as we kind of established early on, progressive Christianity isn't Christianity. You hear it described as progressive or liberal Christianity, and then they'll say historical Christianity. Well, I hate to say this, but I don't know how else to say it. There's only one kind of Christianity. There's biblical Christianity, which is orthodox and historical Christianity. And so again, in our day and age today, uh, there's a push, and it has been this way for so many years now, to try to move away from the, the clear teaching of Scripture and move into more of a progressive or liberal understanding of Scripture and what the Bible teaches. Now, I'm going to reference two individuals, primarily one tonight, but I have referenced two. Uh, Philip Gully is one of the individuals I, I reference um, who wrote the original Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity in his devotional series. And so Michael Kruger, who I referenced already, his book is a critique of Gully's work. So Gully put out a devotional series with these confessional statements. Kruger is critiquing that. Okay, and so we're kind of speaking at it from that point of view. Another individual that I've referenced a couple of times is a man named Richard Rohr. Richard Rohr, and I believe it's spelled R-O-H-R. Um, so Richard Rohr, he would be an advocate of progressive Christianity. So if you are interested and you want to see what some of that teaching sounds like, I showed a few clips in the beginning of the series to show you what that teaching sounds like. Um, if you remember, he was the individual that was talking about the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And he, in a very laughing way, said that basically God was not all that concerned about two people supposedly eating a piece of fruit between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. And just kind of a very lackadaisical mindset towards Scripture, very much a not taking Scripture as a literal text. And so again, a very popular individual. Um, actually, I referenced this a long while back. Um, Stephen Furtick, uh, who is a fairly popular kind of what some might call celebrity pastor um, of Elevation Church, referenced Richard Rohr's writings on something in a positive way. Um, now, again, after the fact, he basically said, well, I don't agree with what Richard Rohr says in general, but this one point that he made, I did agree with how he went about saying blah, blah, blah. I understand that. We, we quote people we don't agree with 100%. I understand that. You're not going to agree with everyone. But to me, that was just a very dangerous thing to do. Because if you quote someone, if I quote someone, you're going to go look that person up and go, well, if pastor thinks they're okay, then they must be okay. And sometimes they're not going to have the discernment to know where those lines are. So you have to be careful there. So again, that just shows you the reach 
that this teaching has. Um, I'll give you another example. <coughs> Just this last week, uh, I believe it was this last week, I was flipping through videos on, on Facebook and different things. And Sandra knows how this goes. Um, I lose a lot of time that way. Okay? It's like 10, 15. I'm like, all right, I'm going to look at this real quick. Five, 10 minutes, I'm going to go to bed. 11.30. Like, what just happened? What? What? So I was flipping through. I found this video of this woman, and I, I can't remember the woman's name, so I apologize for that. But basically, she wrote a book, and it was supposedly this very, like, you know, cutting-edge book on faith. Okay? Um, I believe it was called, like, Abolita Faith or Abolito Faith or something like this. And as she's being interviewed by these two women about the book, towards the end of the interview, she literally says, the scripture in the book is very much interpreted as she sees it, like her opinion of these things. And in this interview, she also goes on to say that she doesn't believe the Bible is inspired, but she doesn't believe it should be taken literally. Um, very much, you know, very progressive and liberal in her views of scripture. Um, all these other things that would very much make you think this probably isn't even a Christian book as far as we know Christianity. But they're just praising her for her, you know, her intuitiveness and how she talks about this, that, and the other thing. And I got curious. And I was like, I, I want to look this up. So I looked up the book. And I believe it was Christianity Today had it listed as one of their top sellers. Doesn't see scripture as literal. Doesn't take the Bible at, at what it says it is. It's completely admitted, I interpret scripture for how it makes sense to me completely missing the whole point of the gospel. And yet, and I believe it was Christianity Today. I'll have to look it up and confirm this next week. But completely admit scripture is not really inspired. And yet, like a top five bestseller in Christianity Today. It's amazing to me that when people just put these titles on things and quote some verses, we just, as the majority, the church, we just eat it up. There's so many books over the last 20 years that if you really read the book and you really understood what it was teaching or who the author was, there's nothing Christian in the book. But it gets in churches. It gets passed around. It's this cutting-edge book. There was many different examples of this. I mean, in my opinion, The Shack would be an example of this. And by the way, it's a fictional book. However, it's interesting, and I forget the guy's name, William something or other. I forget now. That's not really relevant, but here's the point. He wrote this book, right? It's a fictional work, but people were just eating it up. They loved it. I think there's a movie now too or something. I don't know. So what's interesting is, I remember when that came out and I realized it was a fictional work. Well, first I was kind of upset. I was like, this is what? This isn't even in the Bible. None of this is in the Bible. And then somebody said, well, it's a fictional book. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I agree to disagree about whatever. Do you know a couple years after that, that same author after releasing The Shack and becoming a, I mean, super well-known author, released a theological work, completely progressive and liberal in all of the views towards Scripture. And I can't remember the name of the work now. It's been a few years. But do you know that he released that book? Do you know how many people just went out and bought that book because they knew him from The Shack? And do you know that the theology behind the second book is basically what he taught in the first book? And so how clever is that? I'm going to write this fictional work that's just a story, but it's really what I actually believe. And then a couple years later, now that I've got this real big following, I'll put out my actual theological doctrinal work backing up what I believe, and everybody just eats it up. 
And so again, we have to be guarded. We have to go to Scripture. I'm not saying we can't have differences of opinion on certain things. We all will and do. But when it comes to the core teaching of Scripture, we have to be careful we're guarded and mindful of what Scripture says. So, giving that very much a longer uh, review than I wanted, but that's what I do. I just give really long reviews. So, we're going to dive in. Again, if you've missed any of the first seven, please let me know. You can see these. Uh, they are posted online. But also, if you would like the notes, um, I did have somebody that said they'd like the notes. And so we can do the notes. I can just wait till we're all done and give you a copy of all ten, whatever you want to do. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely make that available for you. So diving into our eighth, command, eighth commandment. So every one of these commandments you're going to hear, there's, there's a half-truth or a partial truth in the statement. Okay. So again, a progressive mindset would say peacemaking, this is the eighth commandment, peacemaking is more important than power. Peacemaking is more important than power. And again, I know some of you guys are taking notes, so I'll read it one more time. Peacemaking is more important than power. So again, in every one of these statements, you're going to hear this is more important than that. This is more valuable than that. And why they do this is because if you look at that statement and you would say, okay, then you're saying in this example, power is referring to authority. So you're saying, well, then authority isn't important, but peacemaking is. And they'll say, no, 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 no. I didn't say that. I said peacemaking is more important. It's still important, the authority in the church. It's just not as important as this. Remember one of the first commandments was that, that Christ is a model to follow more than an object of worship. That's one of the first commandments of progressive Christianity. Christ is a model to follow more than an object of worship. So are you saying you shouldn't worship him? No, you should worship him. But more important than that is to model your life after him. And that's those statements will kind of play on that to try to get you to think, oh, they're really saying something I agree with. And then you dive past the surface and you go, no, there's really very little truth in some of these statements. However, in this statement, can we agree that peacemaking, that pursuing peace in relationships, and we'll define all this in a little bit, but I'm just saying in a general sense, okay? I think we are on the same page here. I think we all would agree that Making peace with someone, having peace in relationship, that's a good thing to pursue, right? Are we all in agreement on that? It's good to pursue peace and, and, and try to make sure there's no conflict, right? Especially unresolved conflict. We want to resolve that and, and have peace. So what is this really saying? So first, we must acknowledge that much of this eight commandment is correct. Church leaders and pastors should not be heavy-handed dictators but servant leaders who humbly serve the church. This issue is kind of taking controlling dictator-type pastoral leadership and comparing it to a pursuit of peace in the church and in relationships. And Gully is going to talk about a lot of how this plays out in the church. As we spoke about last time, many in the church are frustrated with the institutional or the organized church, this is just true in our world today, because they have had or heard of experiences with leaders who will do anything to stay in power. Or people will join churches 
or take on leadership roles because they want to have control over others. So the idea is this. You've either heard, you've experienced, you've had a situation where you were in a church where either a pastor or a ministry leader was really just kind of a bully. Just kind of a, it's all about me and my control and my way and what I want. And they just force and force and force. Or individuals who have controlling personalities who want to be in control, who want to be the boss, join a church. Why? Well, I'll do that ministry. I'll lead that ministry. Why do they say that? Because I like to be in control. Now, I'll admit something in this moment. I'm a little bit, just ever so slightly, a con- stop. The secretary can't laugh that loud. That's letting the cat out of the bag. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a control freak, okay? And you, I mean, Sandra will attest to this as well. So I understand that a lot of people who are in leadership positions tend to be, if the negative, if we look at the negative, control freaks or controlling. Now, there's a positive when somebody's a leader and they like to be organized and lead and structured, all good things, right? But this is also true in the corporate world. I mean, when people are dominating dictator-type leaders and they're controlling, whether in the church or in the corporate world, that's not a good environment to be in. Right? Nobody wants to be in that situation. So, based on what Gully is going to talk about here, he's merely pointing out that happens in church. And I think everyone will go, yeah, I could see that. I've experienced that. I've had that experience. Again, this happens. And here's the part we would agree with. It should be corrected. People who are just in leadership positions to lord it over people in a dominating way, that's not okay. That's not all right. And so we need to correct that. Again, this happens and should be corrected. It is not what Peter lays forth for church leaders, elders, or pastors. So you can go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'm just going to kind of touch on this as an example of what it should look like in the church. Again, we want to give Gully the benefit of a doubt. Let's, I want to really talk through what he's experiencing and sharing. But 1 Peter chapter 5 in verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. We'll start in verse 1. Let's start in verse 1. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now, what's interesting, the word elder here is not referring to somebody who's older in years, it's referring to a position. Elder is referring to that of a pastor, okay? And so here, when Peter says in verse 2, the, the kind of the encouragement, I love this. Where did Peter get that feeding the flock of God is an important thing for the pastor to do? Yeah. When Jesus met with him, and every time he would ask him, do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, right? So again, Peter's merely just conveying what Jesus commissioned him in as far as the important thing in the church. So verse 2, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy liqueur, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. So what does it mean for somebody to do pastoral ministry for the love of filthy liqueur? Another translation might clarify that. What does that mean? 
for money, right? For the love of money. I just want money. Because we all know if you really want to make a lot of money, go into ministry, right? No, okay? Now some, I mean, some do, okay? Whatever, that's not the point. The point is that shouldn't drive you, okay? What's the other thing that shouldn't motivate a pastor or leader in the church? It's not all about money. It's not all about me, right? I don't lord control over you like I'm a king and this is my kingdom. He says, no, no. And in fact, just be an example and an example. Now this is, I'm thankful, this is not meaning perfectly. Because we'd have no pastors and no leaders in the church if it meant perfect. I'm not a perfect example of what it means to follow Christ. Again, you can ask my wife. She can give you all the details, okay? And we understand that. What's it saying? This is what we're striving for. We're striving to be this example. And so this is true of pastors. I believe this is true of church leaders as well. I believe this is true of people that are in leadership in the church. So should church leaders exercise authority to the degree of control and dictator and heavy-handed, it's my way or the highway, when it comes to structural organization, the ways the church functions, just because the pastor wants to do that? No. However, that's not what Gully's talking about. Not all that Gully's talking about. Because again, I'll give you some examples here where Gully takes this to an extreme that we would not agree with. So we agree that pastors or church leaders who are just control freaks, who are dominating and, and just controlling people, that should be corrected. Gully tells of many examples in his writing of bad church leadership. However, Kruger, who points out in his book, The Critique of That Writing, he has a right diagnosis, but an incomplete and wrong cure. So what does Gully suggest we do about bad or controlling church leaders? Well, progressive Christianity is going to suggest one clear thing. Basically, we have no leadership. So the progressive Christianity, you've got really bad controlling church leaders. What do you do? You just get rid of all leadership. You get rid of all authority. Rather, we are all equal, and no one really has authority over anyone else. He sees church leaders as elitist. So the solution is to affirm that we are all equal in authority, opinions, and position. So there's no leadership. There's no authority. No one has authority over anyone else in the church. That's their solution. He points out in his writing the idea of authority versus authoritarianism. Authority over authoritarianism. So what is authoritarianism? This is that dominating, I'm the boss, I'm in control. It is appropriate for an elder or pastor in a church to have biblical authority to oversee, and oversee is literally the meaning of the word bishop. Bishop in Timothy, when he says, if anyone desires to be a bishop and gives the qualifications for a bishop, that's a pastor. And the word bishop literally means overseer, one who oversees the church. So again, the pastor, the elder of a church does have biblical authority to oversee the life and health of the local church. Authoritarian is a negative, top-down and dominating style of leadership that hurts and discourages believers in the church. So biblical authority, good. Authoritarian type leadership, bad. This top-down, dominating style of leadership that hurts and discourages believers in the church. Jesus actually teaches against this type of leadership style. We see this in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 and 26. 
So I'm going to go over there. Matthew chapter 20. I went too far, ended up in Malachi. Matthew chapter 20. Verses 25 through 26. So he says this. And this is in response to the ambition of James and John to kind of be positions of authority in the kingdom. He says this, But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them and that they are great I'm sorry, and they, they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. So what is the model of leadership? Servant leadership. In this text is Jesus saying there's no biblical authority given to a pastor. No, because he hasn't even instituted the position of pastor yet. What is he teaching in this text? What is the only thing Jesus is really teaching in this text? To be a servant. Humble yourself, right? Don't lord over each other like the world does. So he's just merely teaching there's a difference between the way the world views leadership and the way the church views leadership. Gully actually, in his writing, defines proper authority with a simple question. So if you ask Gully, okay, so authority in the church, negative authority in the church from good authority in the church, how do we define that? Here's what he would say. Does it build them up or tear them down? So what's good authority versus bad authority? He would say, does the authority or whatever they're doing, does it build up or does it tear down? So pause. Based on that alone, would we go, I'm good with that. If it builds up or tears down, tears down, that's not good. Builds up, that's good. So that, I'm good with that. Again, we can agree that that is a good starting point, but what question must we ask? Again, we're trying to be discerning. So we're hearing these teachings, and we're followers of Christ. We want to be biblically minded. You hear a teaching like that. Authority in the church, good authority versus bad authority. Good authority builds up, bad authority tears down. You're sitting there. You want to know, do I agree with what this person's saying? You have to ask questions. So what's a question you have to ask when you hear that taught? Good authority builds up, bad authority tears down. What's a question you should ask? Okay. Yes. So that's exactly what we need to do. And it sounds kind of, you know, again, on the surface, we go, I agree with that statement. Build up, tear down. Yeah, we should build up, edify, right? The Bible says that. But again, what do they mean by building up and tearing down? If I build you up with falsehoods or denying the truth so that I can show you, quote unquote, love, I'm actually not really building you up, am I? I might, it might seem like that, but there's no real support there. There's no real actual foundation there, right? It's just fluid. It can be taken away. So again, we have to know what does it mean to build up or to tear down, and what does that look like in their eyes? So what does legitimate authority look like? 
Gully, as many progressives will do, does not clearly explain what property authority looks like, other than the reader deducing that no authority is better than bad authority. So this is what a lot of times progressives and liberals will do. You ask a great question. What do you mean to build up and tear down? What does that look like? If you read their writings, they'll never answer that question. Because as we've already learned, it's more important to ask questions than to give answers. Because we're all on a journey and we're all supposed to just grow. So don't ever dogmatically say there's an answer, even though they tell you to ask questions. But then when you come to a conclusion that's different than theirs, they'll go, no, that's not the answer. You need to take my answer. But you just said we're all on a journey and not supposed to have answers. But I have to agree with what you conclude. And again, it's just this big circle. So again, they will never tell you. But if you just read their writings and hear their teachings, they're basically going to tell you bad authority and no authority are your only two options. Gully tells a story of a female pastor. That should be a little red flag right there. A story of a female pastor being examined by a committee over concerns regarding her progressive theology. So he tells a story in his writing about a female pastor who's being kind of examined by a spiritual council. I don't know if this was in a church. I don't know what the purpose was of this, but this group of leaders in a church were examining or questioning this female pastor about her progressive theology and concerns they had over this progressive theology. My first comment to this group would be, are you seeing her as a female pastor? Then I would say your theology is progressive and needs to be dealt with first. Get the beam out of your own eye. But if they merely don't and they're just challenging this, then they're asking biblical questions about her theology. In Gully's mind, the questions themselves were an abuse of power. This is a quote. The committee had moved from having genuine authority to wielding authoritarian authority, from building others up to tearing others down. So again, how can we define building up and tearing down? If you question anything, if you challenge anything, if you tell someone, well, I don't think that's what the Bible says, you're tearing down. You're not building up. So now we step back and go, okay, so his idea of authority is completely wrong. Titus chapter 1. I'm going to go there quickly because I think we see a great reference here. I passed it. Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. So this is, again, under the qualifications of elders. It talks about what an elder, a pastor should be and how they should minister. Titus 1, 9. In regards to a elder, holding fast the faithful word, as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the naysayers. So what's the idea here? I have to know the doctrine of God's word so that I might be able to exhort or to build up or convince those that are in error, those that need to be corrected. So this committee is doing exactly that. This committee, seemingly from the story, are trying to exercise proper authority. But progressives, as seen earlier, reject anyone telling them what to believe. You can't tell me what to believe because you're not on my journey. You're not in my shoes. You don't know what I've gone through. Even though we go to Scripture and say, but this is what the Bible actually says, that's, I don't take that because that doesn't fit me. So again, progressives reject anyone telling them what to believe. And yet, again, the hypocrisy here, Gully's entire book 
is literally a book on what to believe and how to live. But yet, don't tell me what to believe. But really what they're saying is, I'm fine with you telling me what to believe as long as what you tell me agrees with what I already believe and what I want to believe. So now we have to go back to the first part of that statement. What does it mean to pursue peace then? We've kind of understood the authority part, the power part. So what does it mean to pursue peace? Again, based on what we have studied already, how do you believe this would be defined? How is peace defined here? Based on everything we've said tonight, everything we've already understood about the progressive movement, how would we define peace then? How would a progressive liberal Christian define peace as they would see it? Okay, never question that anyone ever says. I like that. Any other thoughts on that? Okay, just don't cause a scene. Don't, don't stir it up. Let people be, right? You believe what you believe. I'll believe what I believe. Julie? Okay. Okay. Kind of fluid. Yep. Okay. Right. Yeah. So their actual, their desire to let everything just be causes conflict and removes peace. Yeah. Avi. So we're pro whatever the culture. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So we're pro whatever the culture says. We're pro protecting feelings over truth and fact, right? doesn't matter what the Bible says. If I feel this way, you can't tell me different, right? I'm pro whatever is the going to seemingly bring us the most peace in the culture. I love what you said. And in five years when it changes, we got to change again, right? And we're now we're adjusting to different things, which we see that happening all across churches, right? Where they're constantly changing this. Gully really defines peace. And you guys have all touched on this. This is, this is kind of cool. You guys kind of all came to the same point. Gully speaks on peace only in a horizontal definition. Peace is only seen this way, Right? So what is peace? Peace is whatever makes everyone around me happy, feel good, okay? I just got to coexist kind of a thing, right? There's no reference to vertical peace. Nothing between him and God. So it's all horizontal. He actually encourages in his writings, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying this is intrinsically progressive or that it's even, if this is your view, that's fine. But he encourages passivism, Passivism. Basically, he speaks to the military idea of conflict and peace. He actually rebukes the American church for supporting the military because you're supporting conflict. So he only speaks of this. 
He doesn't speak of this peace. He only speaks about wars and violence and all that. By the way, is violence wrong? Yeah, we would all go, I don't, I don't agree with that violence taking place where people are hurting each other. We wish there would be peace there among people. But he only focuses on that aspect. Again, Gully never deals with how we achieve this peace or what it specifically looks like in our lives. So the idea is this. We're wrong for supporting the military and violence and all that. We should just think about peace and we should be at peace. Okay, great. What does that look like? I don't know. Just go do it. That, that's the progressive movement. Because here's the thing. They can't really tell you how to pursue it because if they tell you how to pursue it, they're telling you how to live. And if they tell you how to live, they're contradicting their own thoughts about you're on a journey. So it has to be fluid. I love what Kruger, Michael Kruger writes in his critique of this. This is a longer quote, but I want to read this to you. Kruger writes this. The scriptures provide an answer to the question of how peace is achieved. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, Ephesians 2, 14. In other words, horizontal peace between man and man begins first with recognizing our need for vertical peace between God and man. And only Jesus can provide such vertical peace with God. Again, we should pursue peace. What does Paul say? If at all possible as is in you, to be at peace with all men. We should not walk around as Christians trying to cause conflict. The gospel, in and of itself, intrinsically, causes conflict in our flesh. When you present the gospel to somebody, that causes conflict in them. Jesus says, don't think I came to bring peace, I came to bring a sword, a sword of division, right? What does that mean? How can he be the prince of peace and also say, I don't come to bring peace? Because for those that receive Christ, he's the prince of peace. For those that reject Christ, he's a sword of division. And this is why families are divided. Mothers and sons and daughters and fathers and parents and grandparents. And all these relationships can be severed because if I know Christ and my family member doesn't, there's a division there. Now, I'm at peace in Christ because I have that peace. John 14, 27, the Holy Spirit. But there's not horizontal peace because this person's outside of Christ. And we're not going to see eye to eye. We're not going to agree on things. We can go to family things. We can do things together. That's fine. But there's not really a peace there. And so Jesus is saying, if you want horizontal peace, you need vertical peace. And even then, it may not happen because of the gospel. So if the gospel in and of itself is causing conflict, I don't need to add to that conflict. That's what I'm getting at. I don't need to go out of my way to be offensive or jerky or mean or mean-spirited or just cause a stink to cause a stink. So we should pursue peace in a biblical sense, if possible. But we never compromise Scripture for supposed peace. Because if I deny Scripture and the truth of Scripture in an effort to, quote-unquote, build you up, I'm not actually building you up. I'm tearing you down. I'm not really doing what I should be doing. Avi. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. 
Right, right. <laughs> yes, yes, amen, amen. No, 100%. I think that's the key is that, you know, we want peace because I think, I think we were created, and I believe this intrinsically, to desire peace with God, ultimately. Because we know we're fallen from, from garden, the Garden of Eden. So we know what could be. I think that's what Romans thought, 1 talks about, that we have a knowledge of these things. And we want that so badly, but yet we, in our sin, we don't really believe that the only way to get that is through Jesus. So we suppress the truth and unrighteousness, and we want our own gods. We make ourselves gods, and we think that'll bring peace. And when it doesn't, we get frustrated, and we keep trying to fight and fight and fight for that peace. And when it doesn't come, we're confused, and we're broken, and we don't know what to do. And yet when we just turn to Christ, we find that peace and that restoration. Progressives, again, miss the solution. Their lack of interest in doctrine or the word of God leads to a lack of interest in Jesus and is reduced again to simple moralism. Progressive Christianity is moralism. Just be good. Do good. Treat people nice. And that'll solve all the problems. Yes, there are leaders that are corrupt and need to be removed. Seek repentance and prayerfully be restored. However, the solution is not to remove all authority and invite a type of whatever-goes-goes type leadership. We are called to submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God, under the great shepherd, and under the leadership of other shepherds. Why do we do that? For the glory of the Lord and the blessing of the church. So we can agree, yes, there's some church leaders that should be removed, that shouldn't be leading because of their dominating issues. But the solution isn't just to remove everyone, to get rid of all authority. The solution is to say, come alongside those individuals and say, listen, as a brother in Christ, this is, this is sinful. We need to deal with this. Prayerfully, that person repents and turns from their sin and is restored. And then they're restored and they begin again to lead and guide others to Christ. And so that's the beautiful process in Scripture, not just to say, get rid of all of it. Because again, biblically, there is a call for authority in the church. And it's okay to submit ourselves under that authority. As we submit ourselves under the authority of Christ, so then we submit ourselves under the authority in the church. And so again, we see here just this idea that it sounds on the surface like, oh, just, just pursue peace. Well, great. I love that idea. But what does that mean? Because we can't pursue peace at the cost of the scripture and the cost of God's word. Um, and again, peace that is not based on truth and reality is not peace. Right? It's, it's not true. So I do want to encourage you guys with that this evening. So again, we've got two more commandments, 9 and 10. And so I'm excited to see how the Lord leads through that. Again, all of this study is meant for one purpose, that we as the body of Christ might continue to grow in our discernment and our understanding that just because something's got a Bible verse smacked on it, because somebody's in a church, somebody sounds Christian, somebody says they're a pastor, doesn't mean they're preaching God's word. And we have to be guarded against that false teaching because it will lead us into thinking and acting in ways that are not in agreement with God's word. And so again, this takes many forms. I'm not going to cover all of them in this series, but I pray that it's given you a little bit of encouragement to be able to say, maybe when you have that red flag moment, when you're hearing something taught and you're like, there's just something off about this. But then you talk to your Christian friends and they just love it. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you. They're, you know, you, you have a friend go, you should read this book. And you start reading the book and you're like, this isn't biblical. And you go to your friend and you're like, did you really think this? Is? And they're like, oh, I love it. It changed my life and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, maybe I'm just missing something here. But that little kind of that Holy Spirit red flag, that's such a good thing. And the problem is that sometimes we listen to the crowd, we listen to the church culture and what we're supposed to just take, and we dull 
that awareness. So don't let that happen. If you believe something's unbiblical, and you can go to Scripture and you can see why it's not biblical, it may not be something you get on a rooftop and you shout about, and maybe just a personal conviction, but be okay with being discerning. Don't ever think, well, I just got to take it because well, all my other Christian friends are okay with this author, or all my other Christian friends think this is okay. No, we have to be discerning for ourselves because we're going to give an account. I don't give an account for my friends, right? I give an account for me. And so we have to be discerning and understand that. And it's okay to say, I, I'm not going to read that. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to let that be an influence in my life right now. So, again, just a word of encouragement to you guys. We'll go ahead and uh, pray. But is there any questions or comments in addition to what we've talked about tonight so far? Anything else that, in regards to this topic that you would like to share before we pray? All right. Let's pray. And then we'll let you be dismissed, and the students can be dismissed to the fellowship hall in just a moment. Father, we thank you for just your, your love and your grace that you do give us your word, that you guide us and you direct us in the truth. And Lord, I, I, again, I know there's a very big difference between a, a difference of opinion on something and actual core truths of Christianity. And Lord, we live in a day and age today that is Lord, I don't know how else to say it. They're just so confused that the flesh is just running rampant. That the word of God is seen as something less than the true word of God. And so, Lord, I pray that in the church, Lord, for the world and those that don't know Christ, they just, they need the gospel. And that's, and we understand that. But as Paul says, we're not, we're not judging the world in a sense. Lord, we're talking about what's going on in the church. We're talking about what's going on in the body of Christ in our world today. That there are so many Christians that are teaching and sharing things that are just not biblical. For the sake of supposed peace. To, to keep someone happy or because it feels good. And Lord, I pray that we would, as the body of Christ, with our differences on some things, Lord, and that's fine, but in these core areas that we would be firm in our commitment to the truth of God's word, that we would not be pushed to and fro like a wave of the sea, but that we'd be firm. We'd study your word. We'd spend time in your word to know the difference between true faith and true teaching and false teaching. Lord, the only way we're ever going to know false teaching is to really know the word. So we pray by by your spirit, that you'd open our hearts and our minds to understanding. Thank you for the grace that is there for us when we fall short, when we don't understand. Thank you for the wisdom and discernment that you say that if we'll ask, you'll give us. So we ask for it, Lord, that you grow us in our understanding. Thank you, Father, for all that you continue to do. Thank you for the week ahead, Lord, if it be your will, that we would wake up in the morning that we'll use tomorrow for your glory. In our words, our actions, and our attitudes, that we'd go about our day looking for a way to make an impact for Christ. Thank you for these that are here tonight, Lord. I pray you bless them in a mighty way. And again, just go before us. Help us to glorify you, Lord. Be with the students in their event to follow. Help them have a great time of fellowship, building relationships, Lord. Some fun. And Lord, just encourage them tonight as they spend some time together. Father, we love you. And we thank you for all of this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.